Welcome to How to Have Fun at Work. My name is Lynn Parker and I spent years doing something I was good at, but not having any fun. Then one of my clients told me women aren't funny. So I created Funny Women and the rest is history. In this podcast, I talk to guests from both comedy and business. They have a lot more in common than you would ever imagine. Where do we belong? How do we engender a sense of self? As a woman in my 60s, I have my own issues around belonging as I work in the youthful worlds of media, comedy and entertainment. Unconscious bias exists everywhere. So what if you don't feel like you belong anywhere because of your age, background, a disability, the colour of your skin, your religion, your sexual preferences? How does this affect us in the workplace? I have two amazing guests with me to discuss this very topic. Welcome, Jazz Amparfar and Zara Janjua. Welcome. Hello, Jazz. Hey, I know. I'm so excited to meet you. Hello, hello. Likewise. Oh, my goodness. Now, hopefully, I can get a word in Edgeways. I'm going to get on with the introductions because I know they've got both got an awful lot to say about this subject. Now, firstly, I'm going to introduce you to Jazz and Parfar, who actually informed this topic because we had a recent chat and the word belonging was something that came up. Um, Jazz is quite simply the mistress of storytelling driving change as a sought-after motivational speaker. Her incredible TEDx talk puts an inspirational slant on her life as a broken child and will leave you both laughing and crying. Jazz's determination drove her from appalling abuse at the hands of her own parents, running away from foster care and living on the streets, to advising businesses and governments around the globe. Jazz is all about the transformative power we have within us to make a difference. Her work in the educational and health sectors is highly respected and she advises business leaders, corporations and governments on how to unlock potential and build resilience. I first met Jazz back in 2012 when she entered the Funny Women Awards <laughs> and she reached the semi-final. I haven't managed to tempt her back into comedy, but maybe maybe after today I will. Um, then we had a chance Zoom encounter at the very beginning of lockdown and, and were reunited in our, our love of comedy and humour. So Jazz, a few people listening may recognise you from a certain reality TV programme. Um, so very briefly, tell us a little bit about Lord Sugar. Well, I, I will, but I, I have to say, full disclosure, I have a reality TV addiction. I don't watch <laughs> the shows. I just apply to go on them. But I only, I've got it under control. I only do it once every 20 years. So when I was that, 20, I was on blind date and I won a trip to Austria. Amazing. Also a place, yeah, in the worst date ever. I was in that Hall of Fame. And then at 40... I went on The Apprentice and was fired in the first week. Yeah. Ever. Um, yeah. And I'm 50 now, but in 10 years' time, I'm going on Love Island. We, we, we look forward to it, Jazz. Yeah, I'm <laughs> we, we, I wonder what you'll be able to do in 10 years' time. That's a, an exciting thought. Yeah. <laughs> now, my second guest is Zara Janjua, who describes herself as a multi-hyphenate broadcaster working on screen as a presenter and comedy actor, as well as behind the scenes as a producer, writer, director and filmmaker. Her accolades and awards are plentiful, including the BBC Comedy Writers' Room, ITV's Female Pilot Club, the David Nobbs New Comedy Writing Award and 
Far more importantly, the 2021 Funny Women Awards, where Zara was a runner-up in the Comedy Shorts Award for her amazingly funny film, Match of the Yesterday, Euro 1314, which is still available on our website to watch. Now, Zara also sits on the Equality Advisory Council for NatWest. She's an ambassador and trustee for several charities. And, as if she hasn't got enough to do, she undertakes philanthropic filmmaking projects. Last year, she made a documentary about marginalised and disabled women in Nepal. And next year, she'll be travelling to Tanzania to make her second film as she scales Kilimanjaro. I'm, I have nothing to say, <laughs> other than I'm exhausted just thinking about it. So this film, tell us, when, when are you off to Kilimanjaro? Oh my goodness. Listening to you say all that, Lynn, makes me realise I really need to get a grip and choose a career soon, don't I? I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I struggle so much just to choose one thing to do. So well, you're a multi-hyphenate, you know, that's it. Does that... That's part of the portfolio career, isn't it? The choice yeah. and the opportunity. But next year, I will be making a documentary as I attempt to climb Kilimanjaro. And it's for a children's uh, charity in Scotland called Children's Hospices Across Scotland. So we are already filming bits with some of the team who are going. Very personal stories and reasons why people are, are choosing to climb. But I am absolutely terrified about not just the climb itself, because it's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And I'm a bit like... I don't really know. I always bite off more than I can chew in, always. <laughs> and the thought of actually carrying camera kit and having to work whilst walking is pretty terrifying. Well, we all look forward to that and we'll support you in every way we can. I think it's absolutely amazing. That's so kind. Now, let's talk a bit about the whole topic of belonging. I'm going to start with unconscious bias um, because, as I mentioned, as an older woman, uh, I'm still very much in the workplace, despite what my Facebook profile tries to do to me. And I often feel like the world is leaving me behind. And, and I, I, I don't know if you feel it in other ways, but I, I get disorientated by that. And there is an underlying unconscious bias towards younger, more woke women even though social media supposedly democratises us. So, um, Zara, let me come to you. What, what's been your experience? Uh, and t- you're, you're, you're of mixed heritage. Tell us a bit more about your sense of belonging. I think we all in, within ourselves have some unconscious bias. I think it exists in absolutely every single person. And, you know, it, it takes a very strong person to attempt to understand, identify and address what those are. I have them. I occasionally make remarks and then reflect on them later and think, wait a minute, where did that come from? Was that word I used damaging? And I love that now we are having conversations about the real meaning of words is it okay to uh, identify or self-identify in certain ways I really struggled with identity growing up because I was split between two very different and very distinctive cultures my father is Pakistani and we were raised as Muslims and so there was one part of me that was going to the mosque after school, learning to read the Quran, learning to read Arabic. And it just seemed like there were lots of rules and I wasn't allowed to do much. And then, of course, while I was at school, I was fully immersed in the sort of Christian Western culture and going to carol concerts (laughs) and, you know, wasn't allowed to actually be involved in a lot of the the social life. And I felt very misplaced. Um, 
as I've got older, I've come to terms with that. But it definitely did lead to a lot of imposter syndrome in my life, which is something mm -hmm. that minority groups do face more. Um, so I had to identify that within myself. But I think for me, identity is always going to be a bit of a challenge. And as I've got older, I have come to accept who I am and that's and see that as more of a strength. But we all have to look to identify what our unconscious bias are. We all target certain groups without realising. And I think that the, you know, what you said about being left behind is really interesting, Lynn, because we are going to be left behind if you don't move with the current, yeah. if you don't move with the flow. And it's so hard to do because it's moving so quickly. I know. It's it very tough. So yeah. Jazz, your story's interesting as well. Give us a, a few highlights. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I don't know where I'm from. Um, I know I look a bit like Beyonce, but that's really all I have to go on. I don't, um, my, I think well, my biological mom is definitely white. Uh, my dad is unknown, um, presumably brown, because I'm brown. Um, I grew up in a very strong white working class community, like mining family, which was hilarious because also there's quite a lot of conscious bias towards <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching the Brixton riots in, in the sort of early 80s and my nan was sort of derogatory towards the people involved and I was like um hello <laughs> aren't, I, aren't, I, aren't I one of the people you're describing it I remember my nan saying no you're one of us and and thinking right okay uh, one of you right but I can't buy American tan tights and nobody will do my hair at the hairdresser so one of you sort of so there were always unanswered questions around who I was and don't mention the war don't mention brownness <sighs> you know it was all very so so and I didn't I didn't have anyone else who looked like me around me I yeah. used to tell everyone Derek Griffiths was my dad because he was the only brown person on TV that I thought <laughs> I, I might be related to him. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely believed it at some point. But um, but so so I had a very mangled identity because belonging and identity go hand in hand. Like yeah. I can identify as a housewife from LA County, but if they say you're not one of us, then I don't have the belonging. So I think the, that there's two things that both Zara and I have got in common with that. I, 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 when you span two different camps when you're able to translate between this world of middle-class, working-class, brown, white, whatever, it's actually a gift, but it feels like a curse growing up because all we want to do is belong. Yeah. And imposter syndrome, oh, card-carrying member right here. I mean, of course, <laughs> you know, I, I invented a, a background for myself because I wanted to be more acceptable. Not to be accepted. I might as well wish to be a swordfish. That's never going to happen. But my idea was the highest and best thing would be that I could fool someone into thinking that I was to be considered acceptable so that when someone came along and said, there's been a mistake, you shouldn't be here, I could go, oh, no, 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 I went really hard and I've done this and I've done this and I've trained to be a teacher and I've given my life and blah, blah. And people will go, okay, you can stay. But not mm. because of who I am, because of what I've done. Not because of any value here, because of how hard I've worked. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I grew up, obviously, in a different era, slightly to you, not not so far off Jazz's mm. um, uh, background because I'm 65. But I definitely think that I bore some kind of imposter syndrome even as a child. And where does that begin? And I think it's I think there are issues around class and background. Um, and they still haunt me now. You know, I, I, I still don't feel like I'm good enough in certain situations. And yet I've done all sorts of amazing things, but it's just inbuilt, isn't it? So, OK, 
let's talk a bit more about the whole belonging issue because um zara do you now feel connected or that you belong to a particular community i mean it might just be in the world of broadcast you know where where do you feel like you fit lynn i don't feel like i've ever properly felt like i fit in anywhere i I, i'm the wrong shape i'm the wrong (laughs) i'm the wrong everything i you know i'm just um I I don't ever really feel like I belong in groups. I've really struggled with it my my entire life. I remember at school, people would say to me, oh, you seem to be friends with everyone, but I never really had one group of friends. How interesting. I just would, I was a floater. I would float Mm. from group to group. But, you know, I was never, I didn't have a group of best, best friends. And, you know, I just always seemed to get on with everyone equally and and okay, but never had anyone really, really close. Um, There were a few here and there but you know even that has translated as I've got older and into my adult life where I found it very difficult working within organizations I've been sacked 20 times (laughs) okay (laughs) that's a lot of jobs to go through and a lot of the wrong shape to be um it just felt for me that I I was being constantly told to be something else were you sack sacked or were you or or did the jobs just not get renewed i mean being sacked is a pretty dramatic thing or was it were you genuinely 40, sacked hmm, 43 jobs um 20 sackings and three redundancies so oh. um but i mean great <laughs> i love failing i feel like you know i'm the mm. kind of person that when mm. you tell me i can't do something i have that real fight in me that i think yeah. well to hell with you i'm going to go out and do what i want to anyway and that's really hard when you're starting out in life because if you are an independent thinker which is what i consider myself to be i don't like hierarchy very much i don't respect um authority figures just for the sake or just because they are in control um, or in a position of power, I don't. I just don't have that built within me. I don't give people position just because they t- they tell me they they deserve it. I like to work collaboratively with people. I like to have my say. I like to work creatively and be a part of of teams. So you know that's something I really struggled with my my entire life. But you know it worked out for the best because yeah. after being sacked so much and being made redundant. I launched my own business. My turnover tripled. My, you know, I've got jobs that I that I've yeah. always wanted to have. I can choose the clients I want to work with, and it's great. I'm going to just say here, here, because although we're quite a few years apart, I think, and I'm clearly not of mixed race, and I'm a white British woman. I still absolutely understand that whole thing of floating around from different groups of people, and. Um, Jazz, you made me do a test and I came out, I think, as a connector, Mm. which is not surprising, really. But your own experience, I mean, my goodness, teenage years when we're just getting it all together and we need to be a part of something. I mean, your sense of belonging must have been really uh, messed up. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I didn't belong. But Zara, I want to, I want to just pull you up on something because we talk like this. We say, you know, I didn't fit anywhere. And like over lockdown, I started dressmaking because I always want to make my own clothes. And I'm, and I've got, I had a big bum before J Lo made it famous, right? So I <laughs> lived in this shape, which is, you know, <laughs> different. <laughs> and, I'm jealous. And I, well, you know, 
traffic stopping ass apparently but anyway <laughs> so my husband says but the thing is I would buy clothes and go oh, oh I'm too fat for that or I'm too my arm's too long for that. it's not the clothes it's not me that's too big it's the clothes that don't fit properly they don't have the space and I feel like that's where we are now it's not that I don't fit it's that there are no correct holes for me so I don't need to go find a hole that is mine I'm already taking up the right amount of space and I'm not going to apologise for that anymore. And I think that's the thing, because I would say, oh, I don't fit there. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't fit there. I'm, sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm, this is where I fit, in this perfect space Jazz, that I'm I supposed that. to be in. Jazz, Jazz yeah. is unapologetic, and, and this is such a lesson to all of us. I don't feel like it's some you know, inner strength. I feel like it's been garnered by people standing with me in the chaotic yeah. fire that was my life at the time. And that's what I... That's what my TEDx was about. That's what I remember um, being the most sort of prevalent thing was that in that time of being a teenager and being homeless, um, I was I lived with a pimp at one point. Lovely guy, you know. Obviously, terrible morals, but nice, very friendly at first. Um, I live with a pimp, and, and the thing that that made me leave that was I was a, I remember being eleven years old and not having the words to describe the emotional literacy to describe what was happening, but I knew I wasn't safe, and it's like my brain was trying to land on a good adult like what would someone who is good do and the people who'd made an impact on me were what I used as a yardstick for a waggle I call it what a good one looks like and I because I always think what so what's a good jazz look like not standing here in this changing room holding a dress waiting for this guy I don't know so a lot of the time it's been informed not by my story my limited oh I'm not good enough people like me don't do things like that not by my thoughts and feelings but by the evidence and data garnered from other people who believed in me before I could believe in myself and their stories about me aren't based around oh you're not good enough you don't fit and people like you don't their stories about me are authentic they are consistent and they have high expectations embedded in them and so when I was stuck, I lent on those stories. I borrowed from those stories and my own oughts and shoulds about what, who I should be and the girl and the brown girl and the working class and the kid in foster care. That's somebody else's story. I get mm. to choose my own story. And the one I choose is not the one where I'm victimised. It's the one where I'm the freaking shero of it, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that being marginalised so often and being alone and being scared has you get tired of being tired and in, in, there's a point where you can you realize you can make a choice and it's so hard I want the world to owe me a living I just want to be you know that's much easier I love visiting victimhood wrapping myself up in a sleeping bag and lying face down I love all that you can't live you can't live in victimhood I mean you know you can visit it's like going to the seaside you can live there you can visit there but you don't want to move in and but you can't be on holiday all the time and I think that's that's the thing it's choosing not to let someone else's story of belonging dictate your own identity and where you are you're listening to how to have fun at work brought to you by funny women and hilarious these stories are so important um zara uh there's so much to say and um but you know you work in broadcasting and you do a little bit of stand-up and comedy acting as well but stories that's what it's all about isn't it so are the are these stories the key to 
building our res- our resilience. Um, you're very determined. I'm uh, Zara's LinkedIn posts. I are I'm I'm in awe of because she's so organised about it. But you're you're very good at telling your story. It, you know, I don't mean to downgrade what you do as a story, but you do tell it very well. Um, thank you very much. I would say my LinkedIn game is pretty strong and I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> I honestly get more excited about a LinkedIn notification than any other because I get most of my work now through LinkedIn. So, And that goes above Tinder as well. I'm just putting that out there. That's even <laughs> wow. more exciting than a Tinder notification, okay? <laughs> high praise, high praise for LinkedIn there. <laughs> it, Jess, is, it is a posh dating app, really. <laughs> People get married off Tinder, it's fine. (laughs) I uh, was going to say that, you know, quite often people in life, they choose to define you by your worst moments and the the negative things. And I love that story of empowerment that you have, Jazz, about taking back that control. And that for so many of us is, is the reality that, you know, we don't want to have our lives dictated anymore by society. I feel like story and resilience is, is very key to what I do. I actually recently read a study that was done post-World War II into some of the prisoners that escaped from uh, the camps. And um, the, it, it showed that those of the survivors, of the people that survived those, those horrible camps, most of them were not just positive and had a positive spirit and, and a sense of humour. They had realism and it was not enough to be, it was not enough to be positive and say, oh, you know, mm. by by Christmas we'll be out, by Hanukkah we'll be out, whatever it was. And then that would come and go. And it, without the realism there, people were perishing. And so there was a study done by a psychologist who had survived the, the, the camps. And I just love thinking about where resilience comes from and how we tell our story. As a journalist, I was constantly asked in the newsroom, you know, what's the story? What's the story here? And the story was always something really personal. You know, one of the founding fathers of communication theory was Aristotle, and he spoke about pathos and how pathos, which is, Mm. you know, sharing something emotional. We need to share emotional. It's something emotional. It's how we connect as human beings. We have to have that real connection. Uh, There was a study done in Princeton University years ago, And it showed that when someone shares a really passionate, heartfelt, emotional story, it causes the mind of the listener to essentially couple up. It's called brain coupling. So the brain chemistry looks exactly the same, which means we're both feeling the same things. And that's really powerful when when you're talking and when you're trying to uh, influence people with ideas or you just want to make a friend and you connection, whatever it is that we do. I think about that a lot. I think about how important it is to share stories about ourselves and to let people know especially in business which is just you know very at times it, it, that's not what it's about at all it can be the exact opposite so actually I think in business and, and in everyday life we should talk to people we should tell everyone yeah. about ourselves well the the big connector is is of course humor as well and that is it must do that brain thing you know and actually jazz's amazing tedx talk (laughs) keep we'll keep plugging it because it is amazing and it really does take you on that classic you know comedy sort of tragedy comedy journey that is so integral and you know people talk we, we run courses and and workshops about 
creating comedy. And I've always saying it's very simple, really. You mind your own life. We've all had comedy and we've all had tragedy and it's about how we put it together. And it's about how you take people on that journey. Um, Lots of you know, people talk about story arcs and that kind of thing. That's all it is. There's not, nothing particularly scientific about it. That's it. And you've explained that so eloquently, Zara. Thank you. Um, Jazz, um, top that. <laughs> top, top Aristotle is all I'm going to say. Go. I'll have a go. Well, Dave from the Fish and Chip Shop near me. Yes. <laughs> now said. I'm with you on Dave. <laughs> No, what I was going to say is what you're summing up perfectly is this invitation into being human first. And I think this is where we are now. We are sort of coming off a global pandemic, but sort of not. The agile will inherit the earth. And this ability to be able to be agile, like you with your jobs, Zara, and kind of coming back again, the ability to have your failure CV right up there at the front going, yeah, here's what I've overcome, top that. You know, your ability to say, do you know what? Me and my house, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. That's something that will stand us in good stead. And that's the essence of re- res- resilience and of reinvention, which is what's needed now. So for me, the human revolution that I am inviting people into is, you know, we've had an industrial revolution that went well. We've had a technological revolution that was fun. We've had a digital revolution. Whoop, whoop. It's time for us to reconnect with being professionally vulnerable and personally authentic, especially now. Because the stories that we tell now, the stories we're writing now, we're going to be telling for the rest of our natural lives. And I don't want to be sat in a retirement home with no one playing backgammon with me because my lockdown was stories about how I sat in my pants on Zoom and drank gin out of a teacup. I, I, I want something more compelling hold on, hold than that. On, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, it's okay. Not seven days a week. <laughs> so, but it, it, it's just, it's. I kind of, as soon as I was like, what do I want my story to be? What do I want 2025 jazz to say about 2020 jazz? And I wanted to say I did the best I could with the resources and the information I had at the time. And I chose to tell a positive story. I love what you say, though. Of course, it's not being positive. You've got to be a realist. I think my default setting is misery, but I choose. <laughs> I No, I genuinely, generally, I would wake up in the mornings and I would have to choose to stand on what I have, look at where you are, look at where you've come from. I choose to stand on that. And it's so hard. Like I've got a jar called the truth about you. And when people say true, nice things about me, I put it in this jar and, and I keep going with that jar and then I open it and I read it and I choose to believe that over, oh, you're a bit fat, you're going gray and you're really old. Because that's my, my narrative is not as compelling. So, and, and then it becomes habit. It becomes this habit of being able to reframe, to take responsibility for what you're responsible for and nothing and no one else. And to, to be able to reach out beyond what you think is possible. It becomes habit. And that's when life starts to change. That's when you can, I, it, feel, it feels like flying. It feels like breathing fresh air every single day. Jess, so, I love that you have a positivity jar because I have a swear jar. <laughs> same, same thing, thing. same <laughs> thing <laughs> this is how to have fun at work with lynn parker the founder of funny women to find out how to have fun in your workplace visit www.perlarius.co.uk um i think that transition that you're describing jazz is is really important and I think we don't always recognize that happening to us um the other thing I wanted to say is that going back to the topic of belonging the stories that we tell 
not just our own stories, but within our communities. So stories are mm. communal. If you think about how um, how we pass things on, and women are the we are the conveyances of that information. So we'll pass on the culture. Um, and you've both come from backgrounds that are different, confused. Jazz, you don't know who your dad is. Zara, you came grew up in a, a, a mixed community um, with a mixed heritage, it, it must be really difficult to work out what your story is when you've got that going on. And yet I grew up in a very normal sort of working class family. It probably seems fairly clear to know where I belong. But even I didn't feel like I belonged. I used to make stories up about the fact that I was adopted Honestly, my, my parents thought I was going mad because I wanted to be something different. So I don't know where that all comes from. Um, Jazz, have you got anything to say about that? Yeah, I, I reckon it's the oughts and shoulds around our stories. It's other people's stories. I, I think I mentioned the other day, I was doing a keynote the other day and I one of the things I do is ask people to put their hand up if they believe themselves to be a success. And, you know, in America, people are jumping on the table. In England, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know, Maureen, maybe you should put your hand up. But nobody's, <laughs> no, we don't like to claim it already. So then I start digging. I'm like, so what does success look like for you? And how do you know you're not there? And I, I've been so struck by one woman in particular who's like a CEO exec. And we were talking about success. And she said, I'm not a success because I'm not married and I don't have kids. And you could feel the whole room just... <gasps> Because that, and, and I said, that's the thing, isn't it? It's the oughts and shoulds of other people's stories mm. about us that might have served us at one point. Like me not feeling good enough has served me because it has explained why I'm not doing what I want to do or I'm not having the success that everyone else is because I'm not good enough. But there's a point where that doesn't serve you anymore, where that mm. holds you captive in a holographic prison that you've built for yourself. And at that point, you have to choose whether you are going to hang on to that story, someone else's story about you, or whether you're going to choose a new story. Because I, I, we're only as powerful as the stories that we tell, and we yeah. only tell stories that other people have told us. So it's, I, I think it's so hard. It is so hard to step out of this. But I, I should be dead. I should be like lost in a world of sexual exploitation, and I am not. And it's because of the strength of other people inviting me to consider the possibility of a new story. So mm. if it's possible for me, and I, I'm not Spider-Man for crying out loud, <laughs> if it's possible for me, it's possible. It's possible, you know? I think that belonging uh, issue as, as with women as well, just want to talk to you about this, Zara. We form lots of kind of clubs and networks. When I first started out, there was one network called Network, which was a long time ago. But now there are millions of women's organisations and clubs and groups. And I do think we have this habit of reinventing the wheel. So I think that has contributed as well to this sense of disenfranchisement that you sometimes get because you're not part of that group. I think that's a very female thing as well. That girls at school, they have their little cliques and whatever, and they they have fights and they don't fight in the same way that boys do. They'll slug it out and get on with it, whereas girls tend to carry things on. There's something very interesting about women and the way we group together to belong and then sort of have a habit of, you know, chucking out the the woman that doesn't fit. Um, controversial, Zara, but what do you think of that? 
I don't, do you know, I, I'm, I'm very wary of sort of um, feeding into this narrative about women because I actually get on with women much better than I get on with men. And when you asked me earlier about if I belong and what I feel, how I feel about belonging, I was brought up with, by, by men and by brothers. And, and for a long time, I only had male friends. And I remember when I went to university at 18, I had a big group of Aberdonian male friends that we went to... We went to Amsterdam together, the 12 of them and me for the weekend. I mean, it was a crazy weekend, but I just, I, something changed in me and something changed as I got older. There was something I really needed and I wasn't getting from my friendships and from the people around me. And, you know, now I just can't imagine having that sort of relationship with lots of I mean I have male friends but they're not the same for me and the you know bosses I've been so lucky throughout my career to have had some fantastic female bosses in fact the issues I've had with most bosses have been male bosses I and I don't think it's I actually don't think it's by luck at all um I I think that I have such love and such respect for for women because we are a minority group without being in a, a minority group you know, we are treated um, like a minority group. And I think it's so hard for us to collectively overcome that because we all have different opinions and ideas on what being a woman should look like and what we should be doing. Um, you know, I would never say in a, for a million years that success should be based on whether you have a family and children. And, you know, there's there's people out there that believe that. There's people out there, women out there that believe that women's places in the home, that they should be doing the majority of caregiving and housework and looking after children and I just um you know I think it's because of that that we look for these similarities and we look for these experiences that we can share that bring us and unite us together mm -hmm. I'm a fan of a group yeah I love well, a group I mean, nearly 20 years ago, I created Funny Women. So, you know, obviously I was seeking for something, but it doesn't necessarily serve my own, you know, creativity in the same way that it would as performers, but it's still very much uh, a sense of belonging for us all. You know, it's brought us together. So it's a, it's a, it's a very big subject, as I said right at the beginning. <laughs> so, Jazz, do you belong to any particular female networks or are you just a floater um, well house of jazz i belong there house of sure. jazz I, that yeah, sounds a good it's, one it's a thing now yeah we <laughs> just I, created I, it we just just now just now i i spent i have in the past invested a lot of time in looking at social media and comparing my backstage with everyone else's front stage, right? Mm. So when I, when I first had kids, it was American mommy bloggers. I was obsessed with them. <laughs> and they all had like 14 children that all, all made all their clothes by hand. And, and the food <laughs> is grown in the garden in the house that they built with their bare hands on a lake. And their husband is away <laughs> fighting some war. And I'm sat there in a dressing gown with egg yolk down my boob, watching my kids kill each other in the background thinking, oh, I've not really... No, that's not, I'm not good enough. <laughs> and I'm like, good enough for what? Who is, who's sat there going, attributing value to people? Because I know when I look in society, I look at, you know, the value system that we have. It's almost like top trumps, you know. Oh, you're a, yeah. you're a girl, worth slightly less. Oh, you're a brown girl. Mm. Oh, you don't know where you're from. You haven't got a <laughs> Just, you go up and down. That's somebody else's, that's someone else's game. That's not my game. So I, I kind of feel like, 
I, I think probably I invite my, I'm the sort of person who invites themselves to weddings, funerals. <laughs> I love community. I'm with you, Zara. Give me a group. I mean, community is just, there's a sense of belonging there where you can create it on your own. So I, I don't know that I belong. And I've, I do, like I go along to groups and I do networking stuff. And I, I, I always feel odd, the odd one out. And then I have to resist the urge to try and turn myself like turn the volume down on myself so I'll blend in I don't want to blend in with this hair and this blonde. I was designed to stand out girl so I don't, I've got normal is average is so overrated you know down with average that's what I say I, I think the the whole point of it for me is is embracing the lack of belonging perceived by society and going hey so I don't feel like I've got it all going on I, I don't feel like I even know how I've gotten here I feel like most of the time that I have forest gumped my way through life and I try hard but I never get I never get it right if you feel like that too then come sit by me I have cake that's where I belong <laughs> I, and, and I, I'm good with that you know yeah I think it just talking to both of you I feel like I belong you know it's it, it because yes, what you're saying is, you know, I, I identify with so much of this, yet I don't have, well, I have a completely different cultural background. I do know where I come from. And yet I'm saying I, did, I thought I was adopted because I kind of somehow weirdly didn't want to, yeah. I wanted to disassociate myself. What that, what's that all about? Years of therapy and we haven't sorted it out, but one day maybe. I think we could go on all night. And I, I am loath to end this conversation because it's fascinating. We might have to have a part two if you're up oh, for I'd it. Oh, I'd love that. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> not now. But let's just have a, a quick roundup. And, you know, the topic of today and the subject of the podcast is all about how to have fun at work. We haven't talked much about the workplace, but maybe you've got one top tip around belonging and the workplace that you can leave us with so Zara putting you on the spot here everyone should share more stories I learned when I was at work that I am a predominantly yellow personality which means I'm fun I'm chatty I want you know I if we if we are talking in the morning on Monday before you get to work with me I want you to tell me you know, what you did at the weekend, what you ate, what colour of shirt you were wearing on Saturday. Like, I want to know everything about you. And then, you know, we spent a small portion just doing the instructional stuff about work. And it took me a while to realise that that's, that was my personality type. There are lots of blues out there that don't operate that way. Mm, mm. But they also don't integrate easily. And I think, you know, if you want to create a happier work environment, if you want to enjoy colleagues more, and if you want colleagues to enjoy you more, you have to share personal stories. You have to invite them into your life. You have to let them know what you're doing, what your dreams and desires are, what colour of shirt you were wearing on Saturday. You know, whatever it is, you invite people into your life and that's what it means to be human. And I think that puts you uh, as a human first before a colleague or a frolic, as some people call it. <laughs> I, I love the fact that you listen to other people because I think that is the first rule of getting on with people and, and communicating is, is being in, being interested in other people because, you know, it's not all about me, you know. It, it's We've got to work with these people. So that's a brilliant bit of advice. Jazz, what's your top tip for having fun at work? Fake moustache and or life-size banana costume, which I have. <laughs> I bought that from a charity shop 
multitude of uses. I think I think the whole point of when you're at work, and I, I hear what you're saying, Zara, and I also know how difficult it is for some people because of the vulnerability piece and the fear. What if it all goes wrong? The thing about that is it, you know, it will go wrong. You, you will get hurt. It will be hard. But it's not about worrying about what if will happen when I share. It's it's worrying about the cost of being isolated in at work where you spend a lot of your time and I think the biggest thing for me to have fun is to meet other people where they are and try and try and figure out what's it like to be on the other side of me because you know we've all got broccoli in our teeth haven't we we're all don't have blind spots and I know when I was teaching I was all very yay let's have fun I was teaching year one and I had this one guy called Gary Bates with like base and air cut never smiled and I just thought oh god this kid hates me but it wasn't that he just wasn't the sort of person to engage with fun or humor immediately so I started kind of just hanging out with Gary sitting with him I wonder what it's like in this world of no laughter and joy and actually we found a bit of common ground and and Gary still writes to me now and he's 25 you know Aww. and it's this idea of if you can get get out of your own way meet mm. people where they are find out what it's like to be on the side of you suddenly fulfillment and joy are available in the place where your computer sits and so it's, it's moving out of your own way and hello Gary hey Gary hey Gary <laughs> so Zara where can we find you uh, well, you can go online. So I've got a website that I am constantly just adding to. And oh my God, I need to update. Uh, so it's www.de. People don't say that anymore. Zarajanjua.com or I'm on Twitter at TV J and same on Instagram. But I am slowly getting back into doing stand-up comedy. I just have so Yay. many other things going on at the moment. So maybe you and me, Jazz, maybe we need to like... Oh, let's do up. it! I think I, I, can feel, I can feel a gig coming on as we, as we, as we talk. Lovely. Thank you, Zara. And Jazz, where where are you to be found? Yeah, same, same website. I mean, you can Google Jazz Apprentice and you just find loads of videos of me being <laughs> fired and crying. But underneath that is some really good stuff on resilience. So I'm on all the major platforms, jazzandpowfar.com is my website. And I am there waiting with a smile. Fabulous. <laughs> well, you've both been amazing. I am loath to end this, but we have to. <laughs> So um, thank you very much. And here's to the next one. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to How to Have Fun at Work with Lynn Parker. If you like us, please subscribe, review and share. Chicken, 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 chicken.